0: Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Tux Digital Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, we're gonna be talking about Intel Arc, new portable gaming devices, and Apple's latest iPhone launch. Then we head to Camera Corner where Wendy will discuss camera sensors, something we haven't discussed in quite a few episodes. So sit back, relax, and plug in because Hardware Addict starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe, and with me today are my two co-hosts, Wendy, a resident photographer extraordinaire and hardware enthusiast, and Michael, a software sage and hardware Padawan. Let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week Michael, what have you been doing in the tech world? You better not say nothing because you almost got away with being promoted to being not a Padawan. So if you didn't have anything this week, you would definitely fall back some points into the
1: Padawan realm. So I love how I told you ahead of time I didn't have anything so you just set up the like the guaranteed <laughs> failure. Like I appreciate that. So the answer is nothing. But that's not because I didn't want to get something. I decided to wait for the Prime Day that's happening. So for those who don't know, there's another Prime Day coming, and it's coming next week. So by the time this releases, you'll be able to get it. So October 11th and 12th is Prime Day again. I don't know why they're doing it again, but it's happening. So I'm going to be waiting for getting a piece of technology for my production setup. I would love to tell you, however... I don't know if they have like a certain amount of limited deal like options. So I'm going to wait until the next time.
0: So you're not going to tell our fans so that they don't have a chance to buy it on Prime Day. That's unbelievably
1: selfish. (laughs) I can tell you, but then I wouldn't give you much details until the next thing because I haven't used it yet. So I can tell you. I think that's fine. Tell us, let them try to steal this from you on Prime Day because
0: I can't (laughs) wait to see the emails where they're like, I got mine. I got mine. And Michael doesn't get his
1: because okay. they stole it from you. Yeah. All right, you pulled my arm. I'll do it. So there's the Rode Rodecaster Pro and the Rode Procaster. Those are different things. So I'm getting the RodeCaster Pro. It's a mixer slash interface slash MIDI multi macro system. It it looks really awesome, but they have the RodeCaster Pro 2 and that it's it's a m- much better version from the previous version, even though the original version was still really cool um in terms of the reviews for it but the benefits of the two look awesome so i refrained myself from getting the first one because it had like some issues that i didn't really want to deal with and the second one that just came out recently is basically it's, it solves all of those issues so i'm looking forward to it it probably won't be on prime day which is one of the reasons I'm okay telling you. It's a very expensive piece of equipment, but it replaces like three other potentially expensive
0: pieces of equipment. So it's really not as expensive as having a mixer and a DBX and a cloud lifter and all these other things because it combines all of that. Plus, I'm really interested in your ability to do Mix Minus with this because you know you went along the journey of Mix Minus with me. I eventually found a solution but it wasn't a hardware solution, And yeah. I know it can be done. but we have a very unique show with Destination Linux that requires a little bit different than just trying to mix minus a single caller interview into your show. We're mix minusing a group from a completely different application and all of their audio, so it's a little more complex. It'll be interesting if this device can pull it off, but, it would be really cool to hear the follow-up on how you like this, because this will be the most fancy piece of audio equipment either uh, of us has far. ever owned, by yes, far. Yeah. by far.
1: And what's cool is that it's made by the same people who make my microphone, so they have a built-in preset that's optimized for the microphone to make it sound as best as possible, which that's pretty cool. I mean, that's not the that's reason awesome. I'm getting it, but you know, it's just a nice bonus.
0: I was jelly about that when I saw it, because I have the Rode <laughs> Procaster, yep, and I thing. saw that it actually had that as well. Yep. As
1: the preset, so it's like, man, I'm very curious how well this is going to work. I am looking forward to it. I've, I, my current mixer is okay, but it just does the audio input and then like nothing else. It doesn't do anything special. It doesn't have any comp- uh, processing on top of it, or it's just, you know, it's okay. But this one looks so good, and we were talking about how it's kind of expensive. And for those who are curious, it's about seven hundred dollars, which it is quite expensive, but. It avoids the need of getting a compressor, a separate compressor, a separate de uh, a separate cloud lifter type where you have to boost the signal. It has a built-in signal booster and a bunch of other stuff. So in terms of the overall cost of this product. Yes, it's about, it's pretty high in general for people who are just getting into audio or anything. But if you're doing it for any kind of like professional stuff like we do, it's a really good deal from all the stuff you get.
0: Whoa, you're saying we're professionals? That's ridiculous. I said, like well, what we do, not okay. that what we do
1: is professional.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Wendy's professional, but the rest of us, not so much. All right, Wendy, so what have you been up to in the hardware world?
2: Last time we got together, I was talking about. Having a hard time finding a Raspberry Pi, and thanks to a super awesome friend, I now have a Pi 3 to use for robotics.
0: That was me, Michael. <laughs> I'm the awesome friend.
2: That was me.
1: Oh. Yes. Oh. I would not have yes, guessed
2: that. Yes, that you are.
1: Yep, yep, yep. And it's See, already Michael? set up
2: and ready to go. Like, I already have the software on it, even though the build hat has not arrived. But it's ready for the build hat
1: when it gets. You never sent me a Raspberry Pi. Rude. Well, did you hear what Wendy said there? It
0: got to her mailbox. <laughs> she opened it up and it's already ready to go, even though she doesn't have the hat we talked about in the last episode. She's got it all ready and set up. See, that's the difference between a true <laughs> hardware aficionado
1: and a Padawan. You know? Oh. Yeah. Well, I every time I put a hat on it, it usually just makes it like run hotter. Because oh, you know, it doesn't gosh. have circulation. Is that that what a is that what a wow hat is- <laughs> i know what a hat is i'm just saying i don't even know what to do with that <laughs> you're welcome well
2: what i'll you're do welcome. with that is go ahead and move right along so <laughs> because these things are so hard to find there was a listener i think it was to linux out loud that shared this really cool tip thank you hank and there is a website and a Twitter account called RPi Locator. I have included the link in the show notes so that Ryan can drop that in to the rest of the show notes and you guys can find it. But basically, what this does is it notifies you when Raspberry Pis become in stock and you can narrow it down specifically to your country, which is super awesome. Apparently, there were some available earlier today, but they are already gone. So if you are looking for a Raspberry Pi, this is a very awesome way to find out when they are becoming available at stores near you or websites in your country. I will be keeping an eye on this because I have multiple jobs I would like Raspberry Pis to do. Next time I go to my in-laws, I would love to have a pie hole ready to go for them. Their network, like mine, is really, really slow. They have had some egregious ads popping up on their computer. I have tried to talk them out of using Chrome as their browser because the ad blockers on them are not great, but that is what they prefer. So... I get the call of, I think someone's hacked our computer. No, you don't have a Windows system. This is a full screen scam ad. It's okay. Wow. This will help solve that problem. And I need another Raspberry Pi in order to do that. I'm not sure when I'm going to be at their house next, so it's not an immediate. I have to have it now. But this means that I can be on the watch for another one to be able to take up there and take care of that.
0: Very nice. Raspberry Pis, I don't know why they're having such an issue with their supply chain. It seems like their supply chain issues have far extended past even the GPUs and CPUs out there. So it's an interesting problem because it's been going on, well, since we've started having all these supply issues and it's still going on. And they used to set up sites like this and Discord and other things for GPUs, for PlayStation 5s, for Xbox. I think it's kind of cool, though, in a way that Raspberry Pi is that sought after, that a website is set up just to screen scrape websites and find the various prices and when it's in stock because it's just so in demand. And I think that speaks volumes about the amazing job they've done with the Raspberry Pi because there are alternatives to Raspberry Pi. There are other alternative devices that you can use that have similar features But everybody, all the instructions, all of the schooling and classes, everything is all around the Raspberry Pi, which means that's what most people want to use in place of it. So and and the Lego sets and other things that are made for Raspberry Pi are made to fit that specific device. So it makes a difference. Right, and I
2: found so many amazing sensors. So it's not just the Raspberry Pi build hat that I need. As I'm looking through all this stuff, I'm like, oh, yeah, I need this sensor kit. I found another hat that I absolutely have to have called the Sense Hat. So it's got a built-in accelerometer, gyroscope, some different weather station type sensors. I have to have this stuff. I mean, it's all for the kids, right?
0: It's always for the kids. I'm glad you said (laughs) that, Wendy, because I don't buy anything if it's not for the kids. At least if my wife asks why I bought that new thing I didn't need.
2: That's right. So this Chromebook that you got your hands on had to be for the kids because You wouldn't use one, right?
0: Wendy, shh. No, we're not talking about How'd that get in the notes? I didn't get a Chromebook. I got a Chromebook. It's so... I don't know why I got this. I don't know what happened. I was drunk. It's not true.
1: (laughs) That's the only logical explanation, really, though.
0: Yeah. Okay, so here's what was going through my head, (laughs) illogically. One of the videos I have that has some of the most views, definitely, probably out of all my videos, the most comments, is a video I did on Chromebooks. And it specifically talked about the fact that I didn't understand them, I I didn't get it. Because when you take a Chromebook and you boil it all down, you would be better off with a used computer within the same price range and be able to do more with it, whether using Windows, whether using Linux, whether it's an old MacBook, it's far more capable of a device than a Chromebook is. The only time a Chromebook actually becomes useful for things like outside of just browsing and maybe school settings where you just, all your applications are in the web is when you use Linux in it. If you use Christini or one of those other things, then all of a sudden people are like, yeah, you can get all this cool stuff on a Chromebook. I'm like, yeah, using Linux. Why did Google decide not to just go full Linux is beyond me because Google utilizes Linux internally. They have their own distro specifically for Google. So it would have made a lot more sense if they just made a Linux distro and then it would have all the power of Linux in it and you wouldn't have to go through all of these developer options to turn on the Linux features and all of that. So that's kind of the gist of the video I did. A lot of people agree, a lot of people really heavily disagreed. That video is pretty aged now, so I thought it's time to go out there and see what's changed in the Chromebook world. And so I found a really good price on one of the top rated Chromebooks out there, which is the Acer Spin 713. It's a 13.5 inch touchscreen with an i5 in it, 8 gigabytes of RAM, 256 gigabyte SSD, very unique specs for a Chromebook. If you typically think about a Chromebook, a lot of them only have like 32 gigabytes of EMMC memory and that type of stuff
1: or storage. And two gigs of RAM if you're lucky.
0: Exactly. So, this is a very high powered Chromebook. And so, the idea behind it is I want to see what's kind of changed in the Chrome OS world. And it has a 2256 by 1504 resolution screen. So, much better than what you get typically in a PC, especially in this price range. I was able to pick it up on eBay from Acer for $429, uh, which is a really good price, I think, for the specs there, and see what I can do with this Chromebook. And of course, utilize Linux and things in it and just see how things have changed. So I'll report back. But yes, I will walk the carpet of shame for now that I indeed did order a Chromebook. Ew.
1: Okay, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily the carpet of shame. If you got this for the purpose of that you really wanted it, then yes, I'd be mocking you right now. But you're doing it as an exploration of content that you are reassessing it's the same thing that you've said many times to me about how long since you've last looked at something, maybe your your opinion should change because you haven't actually tried it up to like any recent times. And I think that this is, you're just, you know, doing what you, sticking to it's your own sense of saying it. Yeah. You're doing the thing that you say that people should do. And I think that is in and of itself a reason, a valid reason to get this Chromebook and make some content on it and then immediately get rid of it because it's a Chromebook. <laughs> I love it. I think you nailed it perfectly. You know what also nails it perfectly? Digital Ocean. This episode of Hardware Addicts is brought to you by Digital Ocean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. DigitalOcean also provides you with predictable pricing, robust product documentation, and services that developers love. For example, the marketplace is amazing. It's really easy to just get something set up and go with it just a few clicks because they have so much great software in that marketplace. One of the things I love the most about DigitalOcean, and also DigitalOcean helps teams regardless of size, whether you're a team of one person or a team of a thousand people. DigitalOcean helps you your team grow with their simple, powerful cloud computing services. And as a listener of the hardware. Addicts podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash Tux 2022. That's do.co slash Tux 2022. So again, go get started with that $100 free 60-day credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash Tux 2022. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. There were so many interesting things going on in the hardware
0: world the last few weeks since our last episode that I wanted to kind of combine them all and just get your thoughts because there's just a lot of interesting moves happening in the tech world, which I think our last episode also focused on some interesting moves in the tech world, like EVGA leaving the GPU world, for instance. But the first one that really caught my attention was the gaming market? I have the Steam Deck, Michael. You have the Steam Deck, Wendy. I don't Yo. think you have one yet. Have you had a chance to play with a Steam Deck yet?
2: I don't have one, and I haven't been around anybody who has one, so I haven't played with one. Though I get to hear Nate and Matt talk about them all the time.
1: Well, on the bright side, you're going to be going to the Scale Conference next time it happens, right? So that way you can try one of ours, you know, at the time. So you already agreed to it. Hey, that works. It, like in my head, anyway. Exactly. Well, the Steam Deck has been quite successful for Valve,
0: according to all measures. We have no official numbers, but there are people who go out there and estimate based on pre-orders or they find some secret way of getting information. I don't know how they do it all the time, but they get this data and they estimated between 800,000 and 1.1 million Steam Decks have been sold. And not only have they sold that many devices, but there are a lot of people who are still waiting in queue to get their device. So I think Gabe originally mentioned that he wanted to sell about a million of them. And I think everyone could pretty much agree at this point, being that there's still people on the waiting list, it's still growing in popularity, and we know it's somewhere between 800,000 or 1.1 million Steam Decks pre-ordered, that he's probably hit that number he wanted. And that's pretty amazing, considering this is a gaming device that runs on Linux, which... When I started in Linux not so long ago, gaming was the thing that kept everyone from using Linux. And now we have game devices
1: built on Linux. Like, how things have changed. Valve has changed a lot in regards to the Linux gaming. I mean, you could count them as the reason Linux gaming got so good because of their, you know, making Steam work on Linux in the first place. Then they made Proton, which seemingly for the Steam decks. And then now they make the Steam decks. And I think that it's just such a every time we talk about the Steam Deck or Valve I always want to be like thanks Valve you know just just to put it out there in every single instance because that's how much they made a change and the million sold that it, he wants to do I think it's either they, he's already done it or it's definitely like a guarantee it's going to happen like I would be shocked if that didn't happen because of so many people who are big fans of it plus also the waiting list there it's actually being cranked out much faster than they were before so if you are in the last quarter you probably already got the the email to get it because they said they're gonna crank out the of the speed at least like double what they were doing which is still a long time but it's much better than it was before
0: yeah it would be really nice if uh, raspberry pi could get in on some of the uh, supply chain that oh, found yeah. here to double no up kidding. there But Logitech and Razer obviously are taking notice, maybe of the Steam Deck, would be my guess, certainly on their radar, but definitely of the fact that one of the biggest growing segments in gaming period is mobile. And so both of them have come out and launched some devices here. Logitech is launching the G Cloud. You can pre-order one of these at a discount right now for just $2.99. It hasn't even come out, but it's already on sale, which is kind of weird. Um, I guess it's kind of like a pre-order
1: sale, but it literally says on the site, sale. It doesn't say pre-order sale. Either they are really good to their customers and want people to you know, try it out and say, hey, you're an early adopter. You're going to get a better price. Or they have very little faith in their product. One right. Or
0: two. <laughs> Could be a little bit of both. Because looking at this, I was like, eh. The regular price is going to be 349 And the idea behind this is you're going to have to spend even more money the moment you buy it to get a cloud subscription because it doesn't really come with anything but the hardware itself. So the subscription services are sold separately. So that $299 plus a subscription NVIDIA GeForce Now or the Xbox Game Pass, and that's going to get you a 7-inch full HD touchscreen with 60 hertz refresh rate at 1080p. Oh, gosh. Uh, And then a Qualcomm Snapdragon 720G with an octa-core CPU at 2.3 gigahertz, internal memory at 64 gigabytes, and an IPS LCD with the brightness of about 450 nits on that. I know that NVIDIA GeForce Now is really good. Xbox Game Pass people absolutely love because it's a really good value if you buy at least one or two games a month to just get the Game Pass and be able to play whatever you want whenever you want. But I don't know, having an always connected device with 5G, knowing how the signals are, I guess depending on where you're at, whether this is something that I would rather have over a Steam Deck. I mean, I know the answer for me. The answer is no, I'd rather have the Steam Deck. But what are your thoughts on this?
1: I can go ahead and say that the reason why I don't want this product at all is solely the online gaming thing. If I'm going to be traveling and I want to have a mobile gaming device with me, I don't want to be dependent on where I am having access to 5G in order to justify it or having Wi-Fi. That just defeats a lot of the value of a portable gaming system. So, yeah, I don't get it. I would much rather have a Steam Deck than this thing.
2: From what I understand, it also works with Steam Link, which is pretty nice if you already have something in that realm and able to do that with this device. One of the downsides of the early reviews that I've seen is because all of the games are streamed and it's all network dependent, that your gameplay really isn't going to be that great unless you have absolutely amazing speeds. Now, if you're playing this on the go and you're using a mobile network, chances are your speeds aren't going to be that great. If you're lucky and have an absolutely fantastic home Wi-Fi network, this could be all right. But overall, especially with the price of the hardware, I'm just not seeing it as a quality gaming device.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the fact that it's called G Cloud, made me just think this is some kind of Google thing. And then that also made me kind of laugh at the fact that the timing of this being called G Cloud and Google Stadia being announced that it was going down. uh, It's kind of amusing to me a little bit. I love
0: that you brought that up. Number one, I would think Google might have a problem calling this the G Cloud because they have Google Cloud. But number two, Stadia going away was an interesting announcement that happened. I know that We predicted very early on that Stadia wasn't going to last, which isn't very bold. I'm not saying that in some way of like, (laughs) look at us, we're Oracles, because Google kills so many products that are out there. I mean, there's entire websites dedicated to just listing all of the things that they killed off. It takes a lot of dedication to get into the gaming market, and it takes a lot of trust to really get into the gaming market and get gamers to take your device or your company seriously especially when it comes to cloud stuff, because I think people were still very much on the fence of whether they would rather have a physical copy of a game or not. Google doing what Google does, and then Logitech coming in here with this kind of offering, which honestly, it's a partnership with another company that they worked with to kind of launch this under the Logitech name. It just doesn't feel like their whole heart's in it. And gamers are going to smell that out miles away. And the thing I think that made the Steam Deck very successful is that it was backed by a company that had gained a lot of trust with gamers over the years, which of course was Valve. If you're interested in picking up the Logitech G Cloud Gaming Handheld, it will be available October 17th at Amazon Best Buy and Logitech's own website. But if it was up to me, you're looking for my advice, I would say probably pass on this one. I think they're gonna sell a lot of these units because the Steam Deck is still out of stock. And you know how grandmas are like, you tell them you want a Steam Deck for Christmas (laughs) and then they go into the store and they're like, well, this is like the same thing. And they sell the grandma and the the Logitech and then they bring it home and the kid's all disappointed. I think they'll sell some from that alone.
1: Yeah, I wanted a PlayStation. This is a stay station.
0: Yeah, exactly. And the next company that jumped in was Razer. Uh, So what do you get when you set up a partnership between Razer, Verizon, and Qualcomm? You get another 5G mobile gaming handheld. Uh, this new announcement will feature an always-connected Android-based portable gaming mm, console. There is. Yep, always-connected. It's going to feature the Qualcomm Snapdragon G3X Gen 1. And this sock features support for gaming up to 4K resolution, 144 frames per second, rendering at 10-bit HDR, Wi-Fi 6E, and 5G, including both sub-bands of 5G, including millimeter wave, In addition, the platform allows you to attach a 4K TV or display to the console, and it has USB-C port. The developer kit has a 6.5-inch OLED screen, which I think will probably be in the final unit, which makes this one a lot more appealing than the other one, but neither personally are appealing to me. More info is coming out on the Razer device on October 15th. What
1: do you guys think about the Razer?
2: Just with the names that are involved with this, it's going to be expensive.
1: Just with the Razer part of it, really, but also the yep. Ver- Verizon doesn't typically isn't really known for their cheap offerings. This is an interesting console. I think that it has a lot of potential because Razer is involved in it, and I've seen a lot of what Razer does. Uh it, people kind of, you know, give them flack for being a flashy thing with no substance. But if you look at their products and the, all the reviews, they typically do get good reviews. So there's there's a possibility that this could be a good product, except for two very important things, in my opinion. They always connected, no thank you, and the Android-based console part. Like, if I, I could just use my phone for that, why do I need to have an extra device to play Android games? That just seems kind of wasting
2: To be fair, the Logitech one is also an Android-based platform. So I think for them, instead of coming up with their own software or doing what Valve has done, and they've taken a Linux distribution and made it exactly what they wanted for their devices, they're just saying, hey, let's take Android and slap it on a piece of hardware with a few UI tweaks. It'll be fine.
1: It makes sense that people would do that like the companies would see this as an opportunity to compete against valve and they want to just get something out there i understand that as a reasoning i still think that an android gaming console is so boring it it reminds me of the ouya back in the day because that's all that was and it was a big popular thing that everybody was super excited for and it finally comes out and no one cares it's not that good it was actually underpowered and all that this is not underpowered seemingly, but at the same time, it's still the same games you can get on your phone. If there was something special about it, then maybe, but it's just it's just Android games.
0: Well, what's interesting is just Android games. The mobile market is worth $56.6 billion.
1: I believe that. I'm just saying like I would rather play those silly nonsense games on my phone. Like I've played many Android games but I have an Android phone, why would I pay an extra whatever this costs in addition to my phone when I could just continue to use the one I already have?
0: I think it's a good question. There are a lot of kits that you can attach to your phone that turn it into a controller, even give it more battery life because I know that's an issue for a lot of people. They use their phone for business or other things. They can't really, games drain the battery so fast. So they have all kinds of kits you can attach to your phone that basically make it a portable gaming system. I think the big thing could be a much bigger screen here. I think the big thing could be, again, not wearing down your own battery life, but having to have another subscription, paying for another telecom company contract on a gaming device is a tall ask. And I know, obviously, mobile gaming has become very popular with the younger generation. I frankly can't stand it. Uh, None of my kids are interested in it. Are you saying you're
1: not a subway surfer?
0: But I am not a subway surfer. I'm just not interested in a lot of these games. Uh, If I'm going to do it, I'll use the Steam Deck. So speaking of phones, though, Apple just released their new iPhone 14 with, wait for it.
1: Wait, huh?
0: Dynamic Islands. (gasps) What's that? Well, Dynamic (laughs) Islands are the new rage, Michael.
1: They change everything. Okay. Do they, do they get rid of the stupid notch? That's my biggest question. No, they cover it.
0: They cover it up. So what a dynamic island is, is it's a dynamic notification system that covers up the front camera notch with notifications. Unfortunately, in many screenshots I'm seeing, it also appears to cover up actual content you want to see. But Apple will work all that out. Don't you worry. It's a dynamic island. It's now a feature of the phone to have that big bar there.
2: Great. Let's just pay more to not be able to see what we want to see on our phones. I can't
0: believe Apple's taken this long. I mean, everybody's moved to the punch camera, even the Google pixel, which is not, I mean, it's a flagship for Google, but it's not a flagship and all of the hardware and specs and things it just has a simple punch out camera, but Apple can't move past that. They're like, no, nah, we're sticking with this. We like, this whole
1: notch thing on your phone well they are the company that gets away with doing terrible decisions and then pretending that it's prestigious and therefore everybody should accept it and like getting rid of the headphone jack it's such a stupid idea and they're like well this is so much better and you know what I do love a giant chain of dongles. Yay. That's what it seems like everybody seems to do. Or you're
0: holding your phone wrong or other things.
1: Exactly. So I'm not really surprised that they're not getting rid of it, but it is interesting that they decided to transition. So I've looked at some uh, animations of how the dynamic island works. And it's kind of interesting because it's like resizes automatically based on the content inside of it to use some of the display kind of pretending that this isn't there. But, and then at the, if you look at it at an angle, it's kind of like two pinholes or kind of like, I guess, one pinhole and one large, larger one. It's an interesting yeah. solution to a problem they created. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it, so. it is. I, I think it's pretty interesting idea or concept. I, if it had come out when everyone still was having the whole bar in front of the front screen, it would have been really innovative. Coming out now, though, when we have better solutions and then kind of selling it as this big thing is, well, it's just different. It's Apple. I mean, you love it or you hate it. It's one of those things. You can get yourself an iPhone 14 or an iPhone 14 Pro, the 6.7-inch screen, or the regular iPhone 14 with a 6.1-inch screen. If you need that 0.6 inches extra to be able to play those video games, then you want to pick up that pro model. Both come with an A15 Bionic chip with a five core GPU. They now have crash detection and emergency SOS via satellite, which is the first in the industry. And I do think that's that's really innovative. That's a really cool option. I think you save a lot of lives with the crash detection and things. Although I have been seeing reports on that too, where people's crash detection is going off when they're on roller coaster rides and stuff. So, oh, they're trying to get to Oops. their phone, you know, to turn it off so it doesn't call 911 because, you know, the roller coasters stop and go so fast and all
1: that type of thing. So, that is an interesting problem that no one ever thought of until it started happening. I I right. can guarantee you, this is a something like this is not How, how, what are the odds that someone's going to get jostled around that much like that so, you know, frequently that it's going to become an issue? And then roller coasters, oh, dang it. <laughs> Yeah. It has to be it, like what's in their meetings. Is it just I can't believe we didn't think of this. Oh, no.
0: It's going to be an interesting, like when you have a mode for roller coasters you have to put your device in.
1: <laughs> it's like airplane mode, like roller coaster mode. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> it's amazing.
0: That'll be their new feature.
2: Roller coaster mode or I've been on the golf course and I'm in a golf cart. My buddy's <laughs> driving.
0: I've seen some really souped up golf carts that could probably make that thing go off for sure. Yes. <laughs> Well, both models have an updated internal design for better thermal performance. They have the gorgeous Super Retina XDR displays with OLED technology. It supports 1,200 nits of peak HDR brightness and a 2,000,000 to 1 contrast ratio along with Dolby Vision. Plus, it's always about the cameras. So they have a new main camera with a larger f 1.5 aperture and a 1.9 um pixels i don't know what that um is there (laughs) enabling photo and video improvements in all lighting scenarios and a new front true depth camera with an f 1.9 aperture that enables better low light performance for photos and videos and now cinematic mode 4k at 30 frames per second and 4k at 24 frames per second so wendy those cameras blowing your socks off
2: I can't remember what the aperture size was before, so I can't speak to how much it was better. Probably that actually like ten
1: percent better. <laughs> probably.
2: If that. But the big thing that is happening with these is yes, the sensor technology is getting better, but they're doing more and more on the back end in the processing, knowing what the deficits are of their sensors. So I wouldn't say in general that your camera is this amazing, awesome upgrade. Really, you're just getting better sensor software for the camera and the upgrade.
0: It's absolutely amazing what they've been able to do with AI and their backend software on things like the Google Pixel, for instance. You can do all kinds of unique post-processing That is just simple click of a button, like completely removing people out of images and it replacing the background with what looks to be the actual background, even though there was a person there before and things, it's just incredible what they're doing from a software standpoint, which based on how small they have to make the cameras makes sense that they have to push a lot of this through to the software to handle.
1: I mean, the stuff that they're putting in these phones these days are like super impressive. Uh, This is actually good tech as in terms of like saying the 1.5 aperture. That is is pretty good for a phone. I mean, not many people would expect that if you go back, you know, 10 years ago. This is a big change in terms of that side, but it's not really a big change in terms of like the previous version of the iPhone because they've had really good devices for the past couple of years. So every time I've seen someone talk about, should you upgrade or not. They said if you have the version before there's absolutely zero reason to upgrade and if you have a couple of versions older than maybe go sure. But I do want to say I had to look it up what um pixels were and I still don't know really. Um stands for micrometer. Now I don't know what a micrometer pixel is, but at least we know what that part means. <laughs> it's a micrometer pixel. It's a very very small Teeny pixel.
2: Tiny. Yeah. Bitty bitty.
0: Very cool. So that probably would allow you to blow up the picture more and not have the distortion in things, I would assume, once that picture's taken.
1: Okay. So there are 1,000 micrometers in one millimeter. A micrometer is one one thousandth of a millimeter. That's what that refers to. So it's 1.9 one of a millimeter. 1.9 ums. Let us know in the comments if that <laughs> means
0: something to you. We'd yeah. be interested. Other thing is, I know there's a lot of Apple fans out there. I mean, given the two choices, just talking about the two choices, your stock Android and Apple, I generally prefer Apple myself over stock Android, namely because of the privacy thing. But if you're not excited about the Apple phone and you're an Apple fan, you're probably not alone because new reports are coming out that the company produced about, 90 million units in the second half of last year of their iPhone, and they asked their manufacturers to make six million more units the second half of this year for this new iPhone that's coming out. And now they're telling their production lines, reportedly from Bloomberg, that they need to stop and take out that extra six million more units because they're not selling so hot. And I think when you look at this upgrade, it's kind of understandable. If you are on an iPhone 13, for instance, there's really not a whole lot to pull you over to the iPhone 14 here. Maybe if you're somebody who still hold out on the iPhone 8 or others and you're going to upgrade anyways, you're going to go ahead, and why not pick up the 14. But I don't think they're going to sell as many of these as they hoped cuz it just wasn't that exciting.
1: It's really interesting if you think about the fact that the iPhone, where it is now, is a very impressive device. But where it was last year was also just as impressive, and that's the problem. We're at a stage of, you know, like a previous episode, you talked about how phones have just become boring and it's become boring because they're so good that the advancements we have per year is much smaller than the previous, like 10 years ago, where you'd have, you go from a flip phone to a smartphone or you go from a smartphone that's like barely good enough to like this crazy dope device kind of thing. And now we have every year it's already at that such a threshold that it's it's a fantastic option either way. And if you get like an, a Google device or you get the Apple device or whatever, they're so they're like magic bricks that you're holding in your hand. Yeah. And from one year to the other, they're still magic bricks.
0: They haven't changed a whole lot over the years and I think a lot of people like that about Apple in some ways. You know, you get better cameras, but you get maybe a couple design changes. But for the most part, you have that very familiar device. I'm
1: surprised the Dynamic Island didn't solve the whole problem of getting new phones.
0: Yeah, everybody everybody... had to have Dynamic Island. I mean, why not? (laughs) I think a lot of things are going into software as a service. When you look at Apple Fitness, Apple TV, Apple, I don't know, they've got Apple Games. They've got all of these different Apple Music I think they're really trying to branch out into these services to sell and the fact that the Apple ecosystem is so well combined with each other. If you get an iPhone and you get an iWatch and you get the Apple TV and all these things, they all interconnect and are so convergent, so well with one another and by design because only Apple can make Apple stuff. And so that gives them a kind of an interesting advantage because of that. But because it's so well intertwined, once you get into that ecosystem people kind of tend to stay with it. And so I don't think Apple's going to be hurting anytime soon. So there's reports of them having to scale back. Apple's fine. I think that they probably need to do something a little more exciting, maybe with a flip phone, maybe some of the AR VR stuff, or maybe the Apple car
1: that keeps getting rumored out there. We'll see in the coming years. And I will say that a lot of their stuff is really good. Like the Apple watch has a lot of cool features that other smartwatches don't have. And they, they, it's not like you. You said they're they're not really suffering from this. They're going from ninety six million to ninety million. You know, it's still a ton of devices yeah, that they're going to be selling. So exactly.
2: And I don't know if you have watched their announcements, but it seems like they're so excited, like over the top excited on every announcement. Yes. And I just want to go like bury myself and be like, oh my gosh, be quiet. It's like listening to a valley girl at the mall. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Everything is magical with Apple. Yes, Everything. it's all magic. Well,
0: there's another company that I've been really excited about. And in fact, I've seen some benchmark videos drop today that I haven't been able to watch. So we're definitely going to be doing a follow-up on this. But the Intel Arc line of GPUs is getting to the finish line. Uh, this week, we had a new player. So we had EVGA leave the GPU market. Acer has entered the GPU market, which I think is really interesting, agreeing to make Intel Arc and specifically agreeing to make Intel Arc look cool because nice. the original Intel arcs didn't look so cool. But the one Acer's doing, it looks pretty dope. Like it's solid. And I love seeing Acer enter into this market, more manufacturers getting into making GPUs. And based on early benchmarks, it looks like Intel is going for the budget gamer, comparing themselves more to the NVIDIA RTX 3060 lineup which is a great place to be, I think, especially considering what the world economy is right now. Now, I remember when I first talked about Intel going in the GPU market and I made a big deal that they need to come in with something strong and not have a weak showing and all of that. But the world changed a lot since then. We had the pandemic, we had the supply chain issues, we have the financial crisis going on. People are looking for a good value to allow them to still play games so while Intel didn't do what I hoped and come out with the real competition in a flagship GPU, I actually think they're coming out in a better place to tackle this market than going for the flagship.
2: That's Maybe an point. I've looked at some of the reviews so far on these, and why they might be going more for the budget gamer. We're not necessarily hitting those marks. This GPU is really focused on the newer games and that performance and anything that's not using the latest DirectX is suffering a lot right now. I don't know if they're going to be able to fix that with additional drivers and whatnot. So unless you're playing the latest and greatest games, this might not be the best bang for your buck because performance is, well, not great. Like, Old, old NVIDIA cards are scoring higher than these on some older games that a lot of people are probably still playing.
1: That's an interesting point that you made, Ryan, and also Wendy. I think that that is a very important thing to point out. And I also think it's kind of interesting that they didn't choose to go with the massive product because, like, I agree that it's the because of the cost, it makes sense to go into the budget gamers like kind of industry part of it. I think it would be really an interesting play if they did have a, you know, a beast mach- uh, beast GPU that they came out with because if you think about the current state of the Nvidia like market, there's so much used stuff you don't want and is absolutely terrible and Intel is in a position where there there isn't any used stuff. So they people wouldn't have to yeah. be worried about that part. So if they were to compete at that level, they actually might have, they might be in a good position because of that issue that NVIDIA is dealing with.
0: It's an interesting point. Acer's going to be making the A770, which as I understand is the flagship version of the Intel Arc lineup right now. They're incorporating a blower style fan in the middle and a much larger non-blower fan designed to the right. And this gives the card not only a unique look, But it has two different fans that are cooling the GPU. And the idea, of course, is that it's going to be able to push the hot air away from the card and out the back of your case instead of into the case, like many fan styles do on other GPUs. So I think Acer is making some really good design decisions there. Um, I know that some of the benchmarks you may have seen, Wendy, might have been the founder Editions of these cards. So it'll be interesting to see if Acer's version is a little different. I think from the older gaming standpoint, a lot of that's going to be software and driver based. And I'm actually surprised. I'm glad you brought it up, but I'm really surprised they struggle with that because Intel has been supporting gaming, older gaming on their GPUs that are integrated GPUs into the CPUs and things for a long time. So it's not like they don't know how to run those algorithms across their chips. So I'm hoping it's just something they can fix through the software, but I am surprised they released with those kind of issues for now.
2: I'm definitely hoping that it's something that they can fix too, that they see this and be like, oh man, that's an issue that we need to get cleaned up now. Because like I said, not everybody's going to be playing the latest and greatest games right now. And what kind of software some of these other manufacturers get to do really depends on intel we know that nvidia locks stuff down it's one of evga's complaints in dealing with them that they really had a hard time standing out in the crowd as far as additional features and whatnot that they could put into those cards if intel gives their other manufacturers some flexibility i think we could end up with some really really awesome cards and some amazing competition inside the Intel GPUs themselves we just don't know yet how much control Intel is going to take over those partnerships
0: yep now as far as the cost goes you have the Arc a750 at 8 gigabytes the 770 at 8 gigabytes and a 16 gigabyte version all three models will be launching on October 12th and the prices 289 329 and 349 which is really good pricing. When you look at the cost of the new NVIDIA fourth generation out there is uh, really comparable pricing. 289, 329, 349 is pretty affordable. So hopefully they can get that software right and Intel can have a really good entry and create some competition for AMD and NVIDIA here strongly.
2: You know what is absolutely already rock solid? That is Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. They let you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager as well as additional authentications such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started for free. Say you want that premium account because it starts at just $10 per year. It comes with one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, vault health reports, TOTP authenticator storage and generation, plus priority customer support. Make the smart move like many in the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started for free. If you're like me though, You're going to want to show your appreciation and sign up for that premium edition, especially where it starts at just $10 per year. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts.
0: All right, Wendy, take us in the camera corner and tell us what does um mean? No, I'm kidding. Tell us about camera (laughs) sensors.
2: We talked about this way back in episode 10. That's been a very long time ago, and so it's time to pick this back up. One of the first sensors we're going to discuss is a CCD sensors. These are really cool. They're typically used in outer space or imaging nice. from up above. And what makes them so awesome is how they handle every single pixel. They're a lot like the CMOS sensor, which we'll be talking about later in their basic layout of layers on the sensor. But you have your photons that will hit that sensor and create an electric charge. Now, when that goes from the sensor, each pixel is handled individually. So it takes a long time for that to be processed. And each signal is amplified individually before it goes to be converted from an analog to a digital, your actual picture that you're getting. So these ones are very expensive because each pixel is handled individually and they're really quite slow. The advantage to these is there's not a lot of electrical interference because they're all handled individually. So you can get really sharp, really crisp images from these sensors. You're not likely to see them in your everyday camera though. Now, most of the cameras that you guys have played with, dealt with, the ones that are in most of your phones, it's a basic CMOS sensor. Do you guys remember anything from when we talked about these?
1: Oh, yeah. They're basic. They're basic and they're CMOS. Yes. Yes. Like, there's there's at least, you know, it's the CMOS is better because the AMOS and the BMOS just wasn't enough. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I love the jokes. Absolutely fantastic. But it's definitely time that we go over this again. So Good. you start out with <laughs> micro lenses that will help focus the light coming in. Then you have your color filter layer. We've talked about that before, and we're not going into that too much. Because that's a whole nother topic in and of itself. After that layer, you have your metal wiring. So some of that light is hitting that wiring level and bouncing back out. Then you have your light receiving level. And under that is the buckets in which are filling up. They're actually collecting that signal. In your CMOS sensors, they have something extra. So on every single sensor, you are getting all of that conversion happening right there at that point. And it's also being amplified right there. And then it's sending all that information out at once. The biggest downside of that is you can end up with more noise, especially as you're turning up that sensor sensitivity. For the most part, they're pretty easy and pretty cheap to manufacture anymore. This technology has been around for a really long time. Not too long ago, I was talking about Backlit or backside illuminated CMOS sensors. What do you guys remember there?
0: They're backlit instead of being the light coming into the front of the sensor. They have lights behind them that can push light into the sensor. Exactly, and well. also
1: not on the edge yes. either. It's the backlit part. Couldn't You're
2: like close. It. Or not. Not? Not. <laughs>
1: Okay, but I or know not. it. I know. I know another part thing about it is that they're not basic.
2: They're definitely not basic. Right.
1: The other ones are just so basic.
2: <laughs> These ones work so much better, and that's because they take that metal layer and they put it behind the light receiving layers, so that all those electronic bits are not interfering with that light coming into your pixel or your light buckets.
1: Oh, I knew That, that. means
2: they work. Yes, they work so much better in these low light situations, but they are definitely more expensive to manufacture. We are starting to see these more and more in high end cameras, but there's one step better and that is the stacked CMOS sensor.
0: Did somebody call me? Are you saying you're stacked or you're CMOS? Yes, because I'm stacked. <laughs> <laughs> Get <it? That's>, wow. <laughs> Anyways, continue.
2: <laughs> well, from what I understand from Michael and his time in the gym with you, you do have some pretty big biceps. So, I guess Bios. in that case, he's
1: got noodle arms. You
2: were being called out.
1: <laughs> he's got noodle, noodle arms. arms.
0: <laughs> so, what's a stacked sensor that's even better?
2: So, these take it one step further where we've got the wiring behind it but we've also added some dedicated RAM and another layer right behind that. So these make these sensors not only better when it comes to light coming into them, but it makes them incredibly fast. We are seeing rates of 20 frames per second in taking pictures. That is absolutely amazing. And on some cameras, like the Sony A1 and the Nikon Z9, they have managed 30 frames per second using your shutter button. We're not taking video. This is pictures.
0: That's kind of hard to wrap around because anytime you hear about frames per second, you think about a movie. 30 frames per second, not being a moving piece of animation, but just a still picture, is going to, I assume, grab all of that extra detail that would be missed in a camera that's only capturing a few frames per second or one frame per second, I assume would be the original camera.
2: Yeah, absolutely. This is those places where you are trying to grab something that's happening really, really fast. So you say sports photography, some nature photography, where you're catching some animals in motion. These are places where you're not having to worry about when you're hitting that shutter button because it is taking that information in so quickly and processing it so fast and saving all of those images to your SD card that you are able to nail that high speed shot more and more often.
0: Very cool. Well, now I know about the basic CMOS. I know about the backlit CMOS. I know about the stacked CMOS. What's next?
2: We'll have to see what's next. We might go ahead and revisit how Images get color because it has been a really long time since we've done that as well. I find sensors absolutely fascinating. The last episode of Linux Out Loud that came out, we did our own camera corner, really focusing on open source camera app for your phone and then being able to take those and process them on your desktop using Darktable or Raw Therapy. And that's when I realized it had been so long since we covered it here. And I was trying not to get quite so camera geeky there. So I had to bring it here. And we'll probably re-hit how that camera takes that information and makes you a color picture instead of black and white.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, thank you, Wendy, for taking us into the camera corner And thank all of you for listening because that's it. Our 70th episode of Hardware Addicts is a wrap. Thank you for listening to this show that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. If you're not all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all the amazing content on the Tux Digital Network. Head right now to tuxdigital.com, bookmark that site, and check out all the great podcasts and YouTube partners available. There is so much there to
1: fill your brains with.
2: Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. Learn, learn. Build, innovate, and grow.
1: We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next time for another always connected episode of Hardware Addicts, where we travel the dynamic islands to find as many um pixels as we can. <laughs> <The> um <pixels>. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to wow, be a shirt Wow! Like t-shirt. round
2: of applause. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Yeah. We need a new T-shirt like with um pixels. I use um pixels, <laughs> um, pixels. or something. Yeah, it's going to be. Our, our audience is going to make fun of us for the um pixels. Or we could do like
1: the it. um pixels and
0: with
2: a question mark at the
1: end of the pixels. Yes. I love what it. What we
2: still need is a rainbow vomit t
1: shirt. It's true. It's true. I got the mock up. Michael
0: just hasn't turned it into actual art it's yet. Not it's not usable. And I have to Shut make up a different things. Shut completely. your face.
1: <laughs> You're such an um pixel.
0: You're such an uh.
1: um pixel. You're such a dynamic island. Pointless and constantly moving. <laughs>